following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Philippians chapter 4. We're rounding out our book today. Uh, as we do, as you get there, uh, Philippians 4, whether you're turning to it or turning it on. Um, I want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you to all of our volunteers who came out this week at the building to help with renovations, with cleaning up junk, with painting uh, yesterday. Uh, That was amazing to see folks throughout the week and and yesterday, uh, last, yeah, yesterday over this weekend um, to help out. We're going to have more of those work days throughout December. And so if you've got a little bit of time, uh, we can put a paintbrush or something in your hands and, uh, and trying to get that place ready so we can get over there uh, by Christmas. I uh, also want to say thank you to those of you who grabbed an ornament, uh, a, a tag off the tree. Uh, last Sunday, as we announced a, a partnership with Peak, um, uh, the charter school there, you did so well that we refilled the tree with more tags. <laughs> so yeah, praise God for that. Um, it makes it easy to talk about things like what our passage today talks about when I see how uh, how generous and how kind you are as a church family. And so if you weren't here last week or didn't get a chance to grab one of those tags uh, for a need that a student has, uh, go ahead and, and on your way out today, go through the lobby there and you can grab a tag off of that tree. And uh, those are due back here, I believe by December the 4th, unwrapped, okay? Unwrapped, that's a key uh, that we didn't tell you last week. All right, Philippians 4 is where we are. Um, There were three asks that I made of you as a church when we started this book back in August. Number one was that you would try as hard as you could to attend every single Sunday during the 11 or so weeks uh, that we were in this book. The second ask I had of you was that if you were not already in community, as Jimmy just mentioned, that you would take this time to plug into a community group. And then the third ask Uh, was that you would potentially commit yourself to reading the book of Philippians one chapter a day throughout the entire series. Now, of those three things, any of you do any of them? Raise a hand if you read or, awesome, praise God, look at that. Read, got in community, or uh, attended as best you could. That's amazing. I appreciate that very much. I hope you found benefit to this book. I've heard, I've talked to a lot of people who have really benefited from our study in Philippians, and it's a joy for me to be able to preach the word and and see God work in those ways. Um, Today, as we wrap up this letter, Paul is going to finally get to the thank you portion of his thank you letter. (laughs) Uh, And so as he does that, writes this letter to this exceedingly generous church, um, I I was curious, like, in your mind, who is the most generous person that you know? Just put, hold that person's face in your mind, the most generous person that you know. And, and then I got a follow-up question, okay? The most generous person you know, is their countenance generally joyful or sullen? And then my third question before we get into the text is, do you think there's a connection between their generosity and what I assume is their joy? That's what Paul's going to talk about a little bit here in the book of Philippians. So join me. Um, you'll have to forgive me, the little frog in my throat. I got a little something going on here. I feel good, I, uh, but it, it, it makes me be able to talk real low, which is pretty fun. <laughs> join me. That's stupid. Uh, Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 10. 
Maybe I'll read it in the deep voice. No, I don't. Uh, 10 to the end of the chapter, and then I'll pray for us. We'll dive in here. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced. There we go. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that, at, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come before you, just grateful to be your children uh, by the blood of Christ that we have the right to be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now in this moment that you would um, just help us to focus our attention on these verses, uh, help us to not be distracted um, so that we might hear from you. And would you, Holy Spirit, empower me as I preach this word that it might um, have its intended effect in the hearts of your people uh, as you meet us here by your spirit through your word. Um, our desire is to see more of Jesus. And so would you help us to see the beauty and glory of Jesus in this passage uh, and to respond appropriately. And so we give you thanks for this opportunity to gather as a church, to gather uh, under the authority of your word and in the presence of your spirit. We ask that you would help us to glorify the Lord Jesus in our study. We ask this in his beautiful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so three sort of simple observations here. I'll give you the first heading and then we'll look at uh, the first few verses. The first thing I just want to point out to you is what I would call for Paul a lesson in contentment. A lesson in contentment. Verses 10 to 13. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Clearly, this verse is not about basketball, okay? It's not a sports verse. I don't care what you want to write on your eye black. It doesn't. It's out of context. Anyway, 
Uh, Paul, remember, is under house arrest, right? He is, he is facing trial before Caesar. He does not know his fate. He does not know whether he will live or die. And as a prisoner of Rome, he's a prisoner of Rome, but he's not supported by Rome. So he is responsible for his own food, for his own clothing, for his own housing, for all of that stuff. And, you know, as a prisoner, you can't just go get a job. And so um, he is dependent on the support that comes from friends or, or family. Now, I believe here's what Paul did. He did what he had just instructed the Philippians to do in, in last week's passage when we looked at the beginning of chapter four. Paul, let his requests be made known to God. Okay? He had needs, but he wasn't out here waving the flag going, hey, guys, can you help me out? He prayed. He sought the Lord. He said, Lord, I have needs. You know that you can fill them. And the Lord provided for him. The Lord responded. These Philippians, they loved Paul. They had a very unique, tight-knit relationship with Paul as the man who had planted this church 10 or so years previous, and, and, and they had deep care for him. So when they heard about his need, when they heard that he was now under house arrest in Rome, they re-engaged in supporting him financially to help offset those costs. Now we see in verse 15 that they had previously supported him in, in, in some of his journeys. Um, when, he, when he left Philippi, he went on to places like Thessalonica and Berea and then on down into Greece to Athens and then to Corinth. And apparently within weeks of him leaving Philippi, they were already sending financial gifts to support him. This is how much they cared about him and wanted to see the gospel uh, go forward. But in these last three or so years, they had not had opportunity because if you remember, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and then he was imprisoned and then moved to Caesarea where he was actually in a jail cell and they had no opportunity to help him. Okay, but now that he's under house arrest, they have opportunity again and they pick it back up, which is why he says, at last, right, you have revived your concern for me. You, you've, you've come back because there's now opportunity. So they saw a need and they jumped in and he rejoiced in the Lord. Their gift came, as it were, through the, the, the grace of, of Jesus to him. And so he could rejoice in the Lord that they were able to give a gift to him. Their ministry to Paul enabled and empowered his ministry, even in chains. Um, you saw there at the end of the passage, we're not going to look at this, this sort of final greeting here very much today, but when he says in verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That's a big deal. <laughs> that there are members of Caesar's own family who have come to Christ. And Paul gets to disciple them. They're coming and having Bible study at his house because he's under house arrest. So his discipleship ministry continued, empowered by the Philippians. Not only that, but you've heard probably of uh, the prison epistles. So not only do we have the letter of Philippians because of the Philippians' generosity, we have the book of Ephesians. We have the book of Colossians. We have the letter to, to Philemon. All of those were written along with Philippians while Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And we know how beneficial those letters have been to the church for the last 2,000 years. That was all empowered through the concern of the Philippian church. So little side note here, this <clears throat> concern means what? Like interest, right? It's on their heart. It's on their mind. They had concern for Paul. They cared about him. It, they, they wanted to know how he was doing and how they could help. And so concern 
Um, you might think of it like a Venn diagram. Concern overlapping with opportunity is where ministry happens. If you want to add a third one to that to make a true Venn diagram, like the three, you might have gifting, right? So concern, their care, their interest, uh, overlapping with opportunity, overlapping with gifting is where ministry happens, okay? Now, I want you to know that um, in just a few weeks' time, uh, December the 4th, we're going to have opportunities presented for you. We're going to have a servant leader open house. And you will hear about a lot of opportunities to get your hands dirty, a lot of opportunities to use the gifts that God has given you to serve uh, your fellow brothers and sisters in this church body. And, um, and so what I ask you to do between now and December 4th is to pray that God would make clear to you your concern. If you're not already engaged in a serve team, that you would pray and ask the Lord to put something on your heart and mind so that when you see opportunities, you will know, oh, that opportunity overlaps with what's on my heart and mind. And I have perhaps gifting to step into that. And then you'll be able to do ministry. Can you do that for me? For me? What am I doing? Can you do that for me? For us? Okay, would you pray about that? Thank you. All right, that was like a side point, but let's go on. So they give the gift. Paul's writing back and he says, hey, your gift was amazing. I rejoice in the Lord. Thank you so much for it. I am grateful. But here's the thing. I want you to know I didn't need it. And you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, just say thank you. Just say thanks. You don't have to say anything else. It's, it's a little awkward, right? Like, hey, thanks a lot for what you gave me. I didn't really need it, but thanks anyway. It's like kind of a left-handed compliment, right? Here's what Paul's trying to do. He's always trying to point them to confidence and sufficiency in Christ and in Christ alone. He is, back to last week's passage, letting his reasonableness, his non-anxiousness be known to them. In other words, he's saying, look, I appreciate your gift. I appreciate you responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I need you to know that even if you had not given... I would not have been in need because the Lord has got me. My life is in his hands and I trust that he will provide everything that I need. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what he's doing. And then he says, "Um, I have learned to be content. I love that he uses that that word. I've learned to be content. Um, Now, contentment is not uh, this sort of stoicism or emotional unaffectedness, uh, you know, in the seasons of life. Um, I think some of us believe that, like, if things are going good, I can't really celebrate it, and if things are going bad, I shouldn't be sad about it. Like, God gave us emotions. It's okay to express our emotions in the different seasons of life. Um, Contentment is more like this. We got Thanksgiving coming up. Anybody excited about eating, like, your weight in turkey? Okay, so here's the thing. Contentment is like, Everybody goes through and you get that first plate, you know, and you don't fill it completely full because you're going to get a second plate. So you just, you want to little, try a little bit of everything and you're sitting, you know, like you're sitting at the table after that first plate of food and uh, you got your family around and no one started fighting yet and, uh, and you're full, but not too full and you're happy, you're satisfied, you're content. That's more what Paul's talking about here. But I love that he says, I learned contentment because we know that contentment does not come naturally to us, does it? Huh? That's why we go back for a second plate (laughs) because we're not content. 
So Charles Spurgeon, uh, one time he said that, he was a, a Baptist preacher in London in the 1800s, he said, um, discontent is as native to a fallen heart as thorns and thistles are to the soil. You don't have to plant thorns and thistles. They just kind of come up naturally. And that's kind of how the, the human heart is. Discontentment is as native to our fallen hearts as thorns and thistles are. Contentment must be cultivated in, in a new heart that only Jesus can give us. Now, some, some people think that contentment is the lesson you learn when you don't have anything. <laughs> and then generosity is the lesson you learn when you do have something. And that's totally backwards, in fact. Um, because look, look what Paul says here. He says, I have learned to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. So contentment has to be learned in both seasons. Now, some of us who don't have much think, well, that's the lesson I would like to learn is how to be content with a lot. <laughs> Can the Lord just bless me with that lesson, that opportunity to learn how to be content with a lot? And I don't know if you know what you're asking for, okay? But those of you who might have means or have seen that trajectory in your lives, you know that, um, and, and this isn't purely financial, but it's, it's largely due to that. You know, as your status in life sort of increases, what do we also do? Increase our standard of living, right? And so our margin never gets wider because we increase our standard of living to the means we have, and then we always find ourselves uncontented. <laughs> Because, well, if I just get to that next place, then I'll be content. And then we get to that next place and we buy a new car. And we're like, dang it, you know, like, now I got payments again, all right? And so however it goes. So he says, no, no, no. Contentment is something you have to learn regardless of how much you have. In any and every circumstance. In other words, contentment has nothing to do with what's in our hands and everything to do with what's in our hearts. And so Paul says, I, I know the secret. There is a secret to true contentment, and I know what it is. Are you ready? Jesus. <laughs> he gives us the Sunday school answer, y'all. Jesus is the secret to contentment. He says, I can do all things. Now, he doesn't mean I can dunk a basketball, right? Through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't mean I can hit a 500-yard home run. It doesn't mean, or, or foot home run. 500 yards would be amazing. Um, it doesn't mean that, okay? What it means is I can face plenty or hunger through Christ who strengthens me. I can face abundance and need through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is when I put my hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone, he gives me the power and the strength to weather poverty or prosperity. With trust in Christ, that he is my ultimate provider because Jesus has already provided for the greatest need that my human heart will ever have. You guys remember in, um, early in the gospel of Mark, I think it's chapter two, uh, there's a, a paralytic, okay? He, he can't walk. His friends love him and they want him to get healed. So they bring him to Jesus. Jesus is teaching in a home. Uh, we, we, we might look at this passage during Advent. And they pull the roof off the house, right? And lower their friend down while Jesus is teaching, interrupts his lesson. 
And, um, and Jesus looks at the man and his need. He looks at the friends. He sees their faith. And he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And if you're the man, you have to think to yourself, cool, not exactly why I came. Right? As if the man would look at Jesus and go, thank you, but that's not my greatest need. And Jesus would say to him, yes, it is. So the greatest need that every human heart has is to be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to the one true God who is the creator and sustainer of all things. And Jesus has provided that need for us if we will receive his finished work with empty hands. And if we have that, we have everything. And if we have that, we can be content no matter what how many zeros are in the bank account? Your bank account might start with zero. <laughs> but if you are in Christ, if you have Christ, you have everything. And now, so listen, until we are content in Christ, we will never be generous. Contentment has to come first. And so this is a lesson that Paul learned in being content. You guys with me? Okay, let me get a sip of water and then we'll look on at the next section, which I'm calling a legacy of generosity. A legacy of generosity. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, meaning the beginning of his ministry in Europe, remember the Philippians were the first church in, on the continent of Europe, first Christian church. In the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help to me for my needs once and again. A legacy of generosity. Paul says to the Philippians, hey, I was overjoyed in the Lord for your gift. But remember, you got to know I was content. I didn't need it, but I appreciate it. I'm really grateful for it. And he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. That's an important word. Um, he's used that same word or word structure two other times in the passage uh, in the book of Philippians. First was in Philippians uh, 1.5, I think it is, when he says, um, you have been partners with me in the gospel. And then in Philippians 1.7, he says, you, have, you are partakers with me in my sufferings. It's the Greek word that, that translates as fellowship. You have fellowshiped with me in the gospel. You have fellowshiped with me in suffering. And now he says, you're fellowshipping in my trouble. You're sharing. You are, um, Paul to the, to the Galatians will call it bearing burdens. You're bearing my burden. So, so this is the fruit. Catch this. What the, what the Philippian church is exhibiting is the fruit of what Paul talks about in Philippians 2 verse 3 when he says, do not count, up yourself more, um, count others more significant than yourselves as Christ did, right? Humble yourself and... and, and do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. This is, this is the fruit of a Jesus first, other second, self third kind of lifestyle. It's gospel infused community. So, so they are doing what he calls the, the Colossians to do, which is to bear one another, sorry, the Galatians, bear one another's burdens. So fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love, which is to love one another as Christ has loved us. This is what they're exhibiting. This is what they're doing. And, and brothers and sisters, this is when the Christian church is at its absolute best. When we, are, when we are putting Jesus first, one another second, and ourselves third, and we are 
outdoing one another in showing hospitality, when we are loving one another as Christ has loved us, when we are just exceedingly generous towards one another and the Lord, that's when the church is at its best and most attractive to the world. I'm not sure I understand. (sighs) (laughs) And you never will. (laughs) Robots. Um... Now, the Philippians had a reputation, did they not, for sharing troubles. They left a legacy of generosity behind. Um, and, and to show you this, you can flip with me if you have your Bible available, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We looked at this in uh, week one, but I want you to see it again because it's so encouraging. Um, 2 Corinthians, so you're just going to the left a couple books and you're going to find 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'll just read this briefly for you. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Primarily, he's speaking of the Philippian church, although it might include also the Thessalonian church and the Berean church. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Catch that equation. Severe test of affliction plus abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals overflow of of wealth of generosity. Whoa. That is different. Verse three, for they gave according to their means and as I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor or the blessing of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. See, there you go. Jesus first, others second, selves third. First to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. Wow. Wow. This is a people who in a severe test of affliction and in extreme poverty are not clinging more tightly to what little they have, but they are joyfully opening up their hands and giving it away. That is bananas, y'all. Like if any of us saw someone else in our church doing that, we would go, whoa, 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 no, come on, hold on to that. You need that for yourself. And their whole church is going, nope. There's too much on the line here for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom to hold on to this. We must, we must. They were begging him. I've been doing this 15 years. I have never had that conversation. I have never had someone come to me and go, hey, I'm just curious. um, Can I please give money to this church? (laughs) All right? But here is the Philippian church going, we beg you to give towards the work uh, of the kingdom so that the saints can be taken care of. This is something only Jesus can do, y'all. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus did. If you go on, we won't, but if you go on in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul reminds us that Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in him. That, That Jesus left the eternal glories and riches of heaven, descended, condescended to this earth, born to a poor teenage mother in a remote corner of the Roman Empire, and he lived this life of obscurity and poverty and trust in God fully. 
And Jesus took all of our discontent and all of our distrust and all of our selfishness and all of our sin on himself when he went to the cross, he bore all of that. He took all of that on himself and he bore the just wrath of God in our place for all of that. The, the hymn, uh, sometimes we sing it, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. And when you and I receive with empty hands that finished work of Jesus in his perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection, our trouble becomes his trouble so that his blessing becomes our blessing. We are rich in him. And for the Philippian church, Jesus was very real to them in resurrection power. They understood the grace of God to them. They understood the nature of God's contrary kingdom. Do you know what I mean by that? In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way to exaltation is humiliation. The way to life is death. The way to receive blessing is to give away. That's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so by the Spirit's power, this church learned to loosen their grip on what they had and to invest it in the kingdom of God like no other church at that time was either able or willing to do. We don't know the circumstances. He doesn't condemn the other churches for not participating. He just says, no other church partnered with me but you guys. We don't know why. Maybe they weren't able. Maybe they weren't willing. But this church did. And we are still talking about them today, 2,000 years later. So the question I've been rolling around in, the, in my brain is this. How will people talk about Steadfast Church? And 100 years from now, what will our legacy be? Will we be known as a church who is joyful and generous despite our lack of affluence? Or will we be known as dour and stingy despite our having enough? See, we're just starting this, this thing. As, as Bent Creek merges in with us and we rename this church, we're just starting out but we have got to be starting with the end in mind. What is the legacy we want to leave behind? Who do we want to be known for? Like when people hear the name Steadfast Church, what do we want them to think of? And that's a decision that I can't make for us. It's a decision we make collectively by our actions, right? So until we are content, we will never be generous. And until we are generous, we will never be free. And that's the last thing I wanna show you here. Um, I'm calling it the liberty of trust, the liberty of trust. We'll see this in verses 17 to 20. Here's what Paul says, not that I seek the gift. So remember, you gave me a gift. I'm thankful. I didn't need it. I was content, but thanks anyway. I really appreciate it. Praise God for that. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's using financial terms uh, that they would have known in the day, uh, basically talking about interest. I seek the interest that's accruing to your account. I have received full payment. Here's the receipt, right? 
You paid me in full and more. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's careful to remind them. Again, I rejoice. I'm grateful. But I wasn't after the gift. I'm not after the money. That's not what this is about. I'm after the fruit for you. I'm after the, the, the benefit to your sake. The blessing that you will receive for being a blessing. If you remember in the book of Acts... Um, Paul quotes Jesus. Now, we don't have Jesus' actual words in the Gospels, but Paul at some point had heard Jesus say this, and he quotes it, that it is far more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul says, look, I thank you for the gift, and I didn't need it, but I'm happy to receive so that you can be blessed in your giving. Now, let's be clear. We do not give to get. All right? That is... The motivation of our heart is not, well, if I give, I will get back. Um, Jesus knows that, and he won't give you anything back. Um, you remember the story, I've, I've told it a couple times. I think it comes from Charles Spurgeon, uh, but I can't find the specific sermon that it was in. But um, he talks about this peasant farmer who grew a big carrot, and he presented it to the king. And he said, king, I want you to have this finest carrot that I've ever grown. And the king said, wow, that's an amazing gift. How about I give you an extra parcel of land so that you can continue to grow this amazing uh, produce? And there's a guard who hears about it, and he goes, well, if you can get a parcel of land for a carrot, I wonder what you can get for a horse. So the next day, he brings his most noble steed to the king, and he says, king, I want you to have my most noble steed. And the king says, thanks, and he walks away. And the guard's a little befuddled, and the king turns around, and he says, oh, let me clear it up for you. Uh, yesterday, the man was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. Hmm. So we know we don't give to get, Okay. However, we cannot ignore Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9, that those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly, and those who sow generously will also reap generously. There is reward, there is blessing from God when we are open-handed with the resources that we've been entrusted. So Paul gives them this receipt, I have all I need and more, and God is honored by your sacrificial generosity. Because remember, the, the Philippians were not giving out of surpluses and dividends and tax refunds and bonuses. The Philippians were not sitting around in December going, man, we got this extra 5K, what are we going to do with it? The Philippian church gave according to and even beyond what seemed reasonable for the sake of the kingdom, which meant hard choices had to be made. What will we do without in order to have more to give? What, what will we do without so that we can be generous with more? And they did so with joy. So when you and I can joyfully put Jesus first, others second, and ourselves third, even in this very sensitive area of our lives, then we know the gospel has affected us even down at the heart level. And we are free. We are free. Because ultimately, it comes down to an issue of trust. Can I trust that whatever I have is enough? Because I have Christ, and whatever he has 
entrusted to me in this season is enough for me? Can I trust that if I will open my hands, the Lord will meet me here? And Paul seems absolutely confident of that. Look at verse 19 again. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply. See, Paul had seen the Philippians provide for him through... Sorry, I'll get my brain straight here. Paul had seen God provide for him through the Philippians. That's what I was trying to say. And so Paul could have confidence that God would provide for the Philippians as well through someone. (laughs) He doesn't know who, but he knows God will do it. He is sure that God will provide for them. How? Because they put Jesus first. And when we choose to put Jesus first, he does not abandon us. Jesus does not abandon those who put him first. In fact, so we were in community group this last week and our group's been reading the passage ahead of the sermon, which has been like free sermon prep for me. It's been awesome. Um, It's been really encouraging. We have conversation around the text. And um, my amazing wife, who many of you know, and, and who's teaching the women's Bible study through Hebrews right now, she reminded us of a verse in Hebrews um, that I want to read for you. You don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 13, um, and I, you know, I'm ashamed to say I had, I had not seen this verse in its full context before. And this is the value of community, right? Just getting the scripture pointed back to you and you go, oh man. And so, and I love the Bible because you see things you hadn't seen. In, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, this is what the writer, the author of Hebrews says. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For, he has said, and then he quotes here from Joshua, I will never leave you, excuse me, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we, a lot of us know, I will never leave you or forsake you, right? But did we know that it's the author of Hebrews decided to make this about contentment with your finances? <laughs> what? So don't love money. And by the way, you don't have to have money to love money. In fact, the most wealthy people I know don't love money. And some of the poorest people I know love money a whole lot. And because it's, it's, it's not, it's a, I love the, I desire the stability, the um, security, the comfort that I think money will bring me. And so therefore, I put my trust in money rather than in Jesus as my ultimate provider of these resources. You see? This verse is true for us, that he will never leave or forsake us because Jesus ultimately was forsaken for us. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he heard nothing back. Because of that, we can be confident. The question that we have to ask is, do we trust him? Do we believe him? Do we believe that if we choose contentment, do we believe that if we choose to open our hands, that God will meet us there and he will not leave us or forsake us? And there's all kinds of, look, we can go, hey, I hear you, you know, but man, Asheville's really, really expensive and maybe I'm on a fixed income or I got piles of student debt and I mean, inflation's kicking all of our rear ends right now, you know, and I just, and I, and I hear you, I hear you. Okay, a couple questions for you. Um, is God the creator and sustainer of all things? 
Um, does God own the cattle on a thousand hills? He sure does. Um, is God your father who loves you and will provide for every need that you have? Did he give his own son for you? And that's where Paul reminds us in the book of Romans, if he did not spare his own son for us, how will he not now with him also gladly give us all things? And so when, when we are free in Christ, like a gospel-saturated heart, and, and let me just time out real quick, because this always comes up. Um, this is how Paul's ending the letter. I didn't choose this passage. Uh, you know, it's just the continuation. So this isn't like a, hey, you need to give to the church kind of sermon. Please don't hear that, right? I'm just preaching the Bible to you and um, you do with it what you decide, you know? Like, we're doing fine. We're doing fine, okay? Um, So we don't need your money, but you need to learn to trust the Lord through giving. A gospel-saturated heart is free, free to trust God's provision that he has given us enough so that we can be content in him regardless of where we find ourselves right now. A gospel-saturated heart is free to trust in God's kindness that, that he will give us enough to be generous with whatever he's entrusted. And we are free to rejoice in the blessings of Jesus and the opportunities that he provides to show his love to the world. And that when we are free in Christ, when we are open-handed and when we are content and, and willing to be generous, that is when we impact a city. When we are not concerned with the same concerns of the world because we know who we are and we know what we have and we know that everything we've been given has been given to us to give away, to steward for his glory and for the good of others. And God will be glorified in us and through us forever. And that's good news. All right, so as we wrap up, um, I got a few questions to put up on the screen. You can take a picture of the screen when all the questions are up or you can write them down as they come, whatever you choose to do. But I do hope that you'll take these with you uh, and just ponder them as we kind of conclude this series in the book of Philippians. We begin Advent next week, guys. Bananas. First question is this. Um, how have I seen the Lord bring me encouragement and joy through his provision? So I just want you to think back, maybe the last couple weeks, last couple months, last couple years. Where have I seen the hand of the Lord? Where have I seen him provide for me? It doesn't always, it doesn't have to be financial provision. It can be relational. It could be, um, you know, providing salvation. Some of you have stepped into faith recently. Where have I seen God's hand providing? And how has that brought me encouragement and joy? A reminder that he won't, hasn't left me or forsaken me, but he's actually with me and he's for me and he's providing for every need that I have. How have I seen that, right? Just remember that and take encouragement from that. Second question, yes. Where do I sense that Jesus is teaching me about contentment? So for some of you, this is a, a financial thing, right? I'm learning how to be content. Maybe, maybe you've just had a windfall and you're <laughs> learning how to be content with that and not blow it all on yourselves. Um, may, maybe you have very little in this season. There always seems to be more month than money, right? And you're learning contentment. Some of you, it's relational. How, how do I learn to be content with, with being alone right now? Or in my job that I hate, <laughs> right? Where, where's Jesus teaching me about contentment? And I would add to that, like, are you listening? Are you learning from him? 
Or are you kind of drowning out his voice? Third, what keeps me from being as generous as the Lord desires me to be? Now, some of you are incredibly generous and uh, we are grateful for that. I've seen it, not just the benefit to the church, but to other people in this church that your generosity. Um, and, and, and I bet the Lord is pleased with that too. And he's like, that's a good start, you know? And then there's other, others of us who, um, who really struggle. And, and let me just suggest that maybe the reason why some of us have a hard time trusting, maybe we struggle with putting Jesus first, especially in our finances, is because we've never put Jesus first. <laughs> maybe if we just try it, just step out on a limb and try putting Jesus first, uh, it might actually help us to trust him more and be more generous. And then the final question is this, um, what is one area the Lord is calling me into deeper trust? For, for some of you today, that might be crossing the threshold from unbelief into belief, coming to faith, surrendering your life to the Lordship of Christ. And I would love to invite you to do that. Right? Today is the day of salvation. For others of you, it might be that, just learning to trust Jesus and put him first. Some of you might be, um, the Lord might be calling you to move from like what we might call sporadic in your generosity towards regular and consistent. For some of you, it might be a step of trust in Jesus is to, is to become more involved in this body of believers, to commit yourself to this people, to serve on a team or to get into a group. For some of you, maybe it's um, uh, you know, moving towards membership. I don't, I don't know what, where the Lord might be calling you into deeper trust, but I want you to consider that. Okay, um, I had this bottle open the whole time and never drink from it because uh, my brain works amazingly. Um, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you to uh, the communion tables where we're going to remember and celebrate the generosity of Jesus to us. He gave us his very life, right? his body, his blood for us. Um, he took our burdens. He shared our trouble so that we could share his blessing. And so we come to these tables um, in repentance of self-sufficiency, in repentance of distrust in his provision. We come in gratitude for what he has given to us um, and the promises that he makes to us. And, and we come looking forward to the day when we will be with him forever and every need that we have will be satisfied fully because we will see him face to face. Amen. So um, when you're ready, you can come to these tables, break a piece of the bread, uh, dip into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows. If you're not a Christian, you can just stay seated. Uh, no one will judge you for that. Um, and then as you respond, um, as you get done at the tables, you can go. There's black boxes in the back. If you uh, are new and want to be known, you can fill out a connect card during this time. Um, for those of you who are regulars and you want to give uh, via cash or check, you can do that in those boxes. Uh, and then we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate the goodness of, of Jesus to us in song. But let me pray, and then we'll respond. Father, I thank you for these men and women and for the opportunity to uh, open the Word of God with them. Thank you for the book of Philippians and just what a, a huge blessing and benefit it has been to us over these last uh, few months as we have studied it verse by verse, passage by passage. And um, I am confident that you have done amazing things in the hearts of your people as we have looked at how to recapture our joy, how to reclaim our joy um, so, Lord, remind us today that our joy in Christ um, is exhibited in part in our contentment and in our generosity. And so help us to be a people who are content 
in any and every circumstance and a people who are open-handed and generous, not just with our finances, but with our time, with our giftings, um, because we realize that everything that we have has come from you and we want to honor you with those things. And so, um, Lord, we need you to do that in us. It's not something we can do ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, would you work that out in our souls and, and make us this kind of people who shine brightly in a dark place um, because we are reflecting the glory of Jesus. We love you. And as we respond to you now in communion, in giving, uh, in singing, would you be honored and glorified. We, we pray in the name of Jesus and, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.